So like 60 people in this hotel and we were just design sprinting together for a good two, three days. And that was like amazing, right? The fact that this was actually happening. The person that was leading it was my manager, me and the service designer that was also there. So we also had a service designer leading things. Welcome to the What is UX podcast, the show where we interview design leaders about their journey and experience so that you may learn from them. I'm your host, Peck Pompat. On this episode, we have Jay Dematillo from Grab. For those of you who are not in the know, Grab is a ride sharing. It's a lot more than ride sharing, but one of the main things they're known for is ride sharing. Very big in Southeast Asia. I actually use Grab exclusively when I'm back in Thailand. So that's really cool to meet a designer who works on, on the Grab app. With that, please give me a warm welcome to Jay. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Could you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you currently do at Grab? Yeah, sure. And thank you for having me and having this space. My name is Jay. I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York. I worked in Silicon Valley for eight years. And then I also lived in China for a little bit to teach design. And now I'm out here in Singapore. I originally came here for the Grab Food team. I was the only consumer designer, so consumer facing product for maybe a year. And then luckily we grew out our team. And now I, I switched teams. I'm now on the safety team, which is, I think it's way more interesting to be honest, because like it is more detective slash like CSI work on how to prevent <laughs> crimes. It is, it's like trying to prevent crimes from happening, like almost like minority report where it is very difficult to figure out, okay, if someone tries to harass a driver or passenger, how do you stop, prevent that ever happening? Or how do you educate drivers to drive safely? Yeah, uh, it's very interesting, but food was a big part of my time here. At, at Grab. And I, I think I definitely owe it a lot to my career, especially with, with like what we built in general. Yeah. Oh, Jay's very humble. Uh, he's also spent his career, design career at Twitter, Yahoo, Pinterest, and Google <laughs> Ventures. It's pretty much like the who's who of Silicon Valley. In another life, I, I would have loved to be Jay. If I hadn't started my own design agency, any of those logos would have been really cool, cool to have. Yeah. So we like to cover in the first part of the interview, we like to get a sense of what it was like growing up, Jay, especially in New York, how you decided to become a, a designer, what, what made you get into this field, particularly UX design and product design. Yeah, sure. So for me, when I first, I guess when I first got into the field, I actually didn't when I become a designer and you can also blame my parents for that. Cause they were definitely the typical Asian parents where they're like, you should doctor, become lawyer. a do doctor, a nurse. And I always loved art. I love drawing. I, I drew my own comics way back when I, I just gravitated towards it, but my interests were elsewhere. Actually, like I first started off as a history major, then I switched to creative writing <laughs> and then I, I, I was doing robotics for a little bit. It was crazy. And then my friend, since we had to do, we were doing this class, it was like a website making class. And he pretty much was like, dude, you should just go to the design. You're like, you're picking up all the coding quickly. You're picking up like the design, like of the website quickly. Like you're truly a designer. I don't know why you're, what you're doing. <laughs> so I ended up applying for the design conservatory and I got in from there. It was obviously like back then it was like just graphic design. Right. So there was nothing there wasn't, aside from web design, and at this time, motion design was becoming a thing. I just started off as a graphic designer doing print branding and all that fun stuff. But 
I guess when I got into UX design, there are so many loops that I went through, which is a while before I got to that point. So like I mentioned, like UX design didn't exist for a few years because I graduated in 2009. Mind you, the iPhone came out around like 2008. So I think it was 2010 when I moved to California and I just got lucky. The iPad had just come out or I think it was iPad 1 or iPad 2. And iPhone, the second iPhone came out and the fact that everyone started talking about, oh, like UX design, product design, like we, we need to do that. We need to, it was, it was like responsive design was like one level. And then the next level was like making your own app. So I just caught that wave of everybody just wanting to be a product slash UX designer in, in San Francisco. So everybody was learning together. There were no YouTube tutorials. There were no like courses on lynda.com. Like it was just everybody just hacking their way in this wild west and it was awesome and i got to learn so much just i was at an agency at this point and i learned so much because i worked directly closely with the developer at our company and he was like studying all the, all these things like python how to build your own app he's looking at ruby on rails and all this crazy stuff and i i didn't pick it up i just wanted to learn more or less about the coding software behind android and iphones because i think android was becoming a thing as well. And we had to develop, everyone was like trying to figure out how do you make an iPhone app look like on an Android app at that point. And it's wild, right? To think about we've come so far from then. But yeah, I think that's how I got into UX design. And I guess for me in general, like that, that creative curiosity that has been prevalent in my career, because as I mentioned, I started off as a graphic designer but I went into motion design. I didn't go, it wasn't like a straight path to UX design. I did motion design because I was following the trends at, at that point. I was like, oh, what's hot at this point? So most people are doing, I guess, music videos and animation. So I wanted to do that. Then I got tired of that. Then I went to San Francisco and I, I actually ended up at a presentation company doing presentations for a bunch of people, which is weird because like presentation design is a thing. And I, I realized how valuable it is to have those principles too. And then I eventually ended up at that agency and I got really lucky. That's how I got into UX design, just going through that wave and just evolving with the trends. And I think nowadays, I think people, it's hard, harder now because of everyone wants to be a UX designer, right? No one knows what, what the next, no one knows it's what so the next trend now. is. It's so trendy now. It's so trendy right now. So I like my advice for anyone is just look at how, where everything's going right now in terms of, is it blockchain? Is it like AI or, or VR, AR? I think those are the things that are going to be probably more impactful. You should years be a low code how... NFT designer. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to, that'd be amazing. But yeah, right now I'm just following the trends and I think I'm just ha happy that I got into UX design through that. And uh, how did you get the job at YouTube? Twitter, not YouTube. Oh my gosh. So that was a crazy story. My agency, I worked for almost three years. They obviously, they lost a lot of clients because of multiple issues, but we had to shut down. And before we shut down, I took an interview at Twitter and it's typical Silicon Valley interview, like six hours in a day, meeting with seven, eight people <laughs> throughout the day. And for me, when I not, it went well, the whole interview I thought went well. And I just still didn't get the job. But what I did before I got that sorry letter, right? I wrote every person in thank you email. Like every person I just took down their email and said, thank you for interviewing me. I would really love to work at Twitter, blah, blah, blah. I got a rejection letter, but then the one of the marketing people, because he knew I had like a marketing background in design. He's, hey, 
like, we need contractor. We need help. Do you want to come on as a contractor? And I was like, okay, yeah, sure. Like I'll, I'll do anything. Cause at this point, like I didn't have a job and I, I, he brought me in and it was amazing. I had an amazing manager. It wasn't the guy that interviewed me. I had another manager. He was Filipino as well. And he, he's still there. He's been there for nine years. He's awesome. And we just vibed and we just worked and jammed on a bunch of things all at the same time as like Twitter was about to IPO as well, which is wild. And they just acquired Vine at this point. So I was doing all these Vine and like Vine illustrations for the company. I was also doing a lot of their B2B stuff. I was doing a lot of their illustrations as well for their infographics. Because at that point, if you remember, the one way to get people's attention was like throwing infographics up on everything. Like infographics. Oh, was that such was a a, such a trendy thing. If you <laughs> yeah. had infographics, you were retweeted and repinned yeah. like crazy. It's yeah. ridiculous. There were and, like infographic farms agencies popped up doing infographics. Yeah. And I know it's still somewhat of a thing, but back then that's when I was like, oh man, this is amazing just to see like data charts illustrated. And I was doing all of that for Twitter. They were like, re- they're obviously tweeted and then retweeted by various people. I, I saw my illustrations in, or infographics in like news articles. And I was like shocked because I was like, wow, like it's being picked up by everybody. I didn't think this was like a hot thing, but like I was more interested obviously in the B2B, uh, well, the B2B creation of websites, emails. Cause at this point I wasn't on the product team. And I think also around that point, it was like a small product team at Twitter as well. So it wasn't that big as it is now, but I was just lucky to be at Twitter in general. And that's how I landed a job. And that was wild because one day, I think it was around, I think September, I'm just working, I'm hustling on a bunch of things. I'm also doing some presentations as well, because I didn't realize what the presentations were for. And then I started realizing like, oh, wait, something's happening at Twitter. Then MSNBC comes on Twitter IPOs. And I'm like, literally like, just what? Like, yeah, I'm just like, freaking out. no, uh, I didn't even know. They don't even told uh, me. And I was just yeah, like, and, and then people were just breaking out champagne bottles. And it was incredible. I was like, this is amazing. But yeah, that was how I ended up Twitter. I, and to be honest, that was like my favorite job, but I wanted to do product. I wanted to do UX stuff. I ended up landing a job at Yahoo. And pretty much I was on that product team after that. But Twitter was like, I don't know. I felt like that was a highlight of my career because I kept contracting them for a while in general. Did you ever ever meet like Dick Costello or Jack Dorsey? Did you spend time with them? I, okay. I ran into Jack, but I I think at this point it was um, Dick that was like running the show at that point. But it was weird, dude. There are so many celebrities that would just stop by. (laughs) You have to remember this is Twitter at its high point. Now it's like, now it's a mess. But like back then it was like, Kobe Bryant would randomly show up and everyone would be freaking out. Uh, and my manager was like crazy about like celebrities. So he would just disappear from his desk and just like, like Twitter videos of Kobe's here. I was like, what? You don't even tell me? He's sorry, man. Like, I know you're working. I was like, dude, that's not cool. Uh, <laughs> and then and I remember Jordan Gordon-Levitt did like a presentation on acting and that was cool. So I sat in that presentation and actually saw him in real life. Tom Hanks randomly showed up. It, it was wild. Like any everybody or... Uh, anybody of everybody was there pretty much that that was like a who's who and it was it was crazy and the fact that they also had i mean for me right this was like my first experience and footstep into a you know silicon valley company i didn't realize like they had the buffet where you can just pick whatever you want for lunch that was like my first time and i was like my eyes were glowing because of course like they're cronuts people were like like kobe's deep deep steaks i was like what is happening airbnb has ramen like it's ridiculous there yeah I was like, wow, we're seriously privileged. But aside from that, yeah, Twitter was awesome. 
Yeah. I, I had a run-in with Jack Dorsey at Square one day, meeting a friend and had lunch there, also catered. And I go to the men's room and Jack Dorsey is on the next stall over. Oh, that's funny. That's so <laughs> and I just thought, would it be weird if I just took a photo and selfie and <laughs> like hey, very awkward hey awkward. Jack, no no no, no but uh i didn't do that but uh, yeah and then the the other funny story i had with twitter is i i was a designer at a startup and they were trying to sell to twitter and they it's all engineers right and there's no no product no design i, I was the contract product and they're like hey we this is really blocking us because they don't have we don't have this person right this position and they're like, hey, is it okay we put you as head of product, head of design? And, hmm. and then we are trying to pitch to Twitter and we we go to the their office and they're trying to pitch the sale. sale. Uh, it didn't happen, but that was like the closest I got got to. I kind of <laughs> was like, if we, if we get acquired, I'll go along for the ride. Yeah. But that didn't happen. But that was a funny story. Yeah. So what you, is that yeah, where yeah. you, is Yahoo where you met Marissa or... Yeah. Yeah. Funny story. So when I ended up at Yahoo, that was also, I okay. To be honest, I felt like that was like the best team I've ever worked with. Cause when I went to Yahoo, I was finally on the product team and doing, working on cool, like UX products. So I was on the, the homepage team, the portal of Yahoo, Yeah. but it didn't just encapsulate just the homepage. I got to do, I, I learned that ads and monetization, I didn't realize ads and monetization was such a dirty word in the UX world. Cause it's just like throwing ads at people and trying to make money. But like I worked on that type of stuff and tried to make it interesting. And then I worked on Yahoo Sports, Yahoo Finance uh, on the application and mobile application, which was amazing. So I got to work on two primary like Yahoo staples of the app. And I was very, very pleased with that in general. But yeah, so that team there, 20 people strong and they were all talented. I think we, the egos didn't like, um, we didn't really have egos per se that they took a back seat. I think we were all in it for the better of the company. And I, it's very interesting because I met other people from Yahoo that were in or out around that time. And they're probably the most nicest and chillest people I've ever met. And Marissa was also there as well. Marissa Louie. I'm not sure if you're talking about Marissa Mayer or Marissa Louie. Oh, Marissa. <laughs> I, I, it's, it's funny. Yeah. Then I, I just realized who, who which Marissa am I talking about. <laughs> Marissa Louie, our mutual friend. Yeah, yeah. So Marissa Louie was also there, which is cool. So that's how I met Marissa. And I forget what team she was on. But yeah, we were working together. And that's pretty much how all the designers got to know each other. And it's funny because... Everyone from that design team, I feel like has their own power move, like, you know, in a way, like they've been just doing, what was well, your I mean, power just, move? well, okay. So like everyone had their own talent, right? They, they, it was just very interesting. Like, it was like, I, I like to relate it to like street fighter. Someone like yeah. Ryu has like the Hadouken, right. Yeah. It's very strong at like that. For me, it was very interesting. Cause I, I think my power move was like aligning people. And that wasn't like a thing back then. Like soft skills, you know, I think people start talking about soft skills. A little bit, they start talking about, oh yeah, soft skills is important because it wasn't like made a main thing. No one thought about it. And then I didn't realize until like recently that I'm not sure if you've heard the term shuttle diplomacy. Have you heard uh, that term before? I, maybe. No, I, I don't remember. It, 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 it's pretty much like having a meeting before a larger stakeholder meeting and getting alignment and having that. Yeah. We do that. So, yeah. I, I yeah. didn't know there was a term for it. Yeah. I did that in agencies, right? As well. I didn't realize like when you go to large companies, people just don't, I guess back then everyone's like, I don't want to have a meeting today. I don't want to have another meeting before a meeting, but you start realizing like 
how much pain do you want to prolong yourself on a project, <laughs> right? Before you like, you don't want to mess up the project and have like, a stakeholder come in at the end. Hey, I don't like this. Let's do something else. Yeah. You want their buy-in first or you're going to warm yeah. warm it up. Yeah. Exactly. So that was my superpower. I pretty much was like, Hey, let's align before this meeting or just have all the stakeholders in this meeting and let's make this happen before we just ship stuff. You incorporate their input and it becomes their thing. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was almost like Jedi mind tricks. Yeah. (laughs) It's a great idea you have. Let's incorporate your idea into this. And then everyone, yeah, no, this is great. It's awesome. I feel like I have a voice and it's like, yeah, you do. This is your idea. And pretty much I would incorporate their idea and everyone would like, oh, wow, this is awesome. Like you incorporate your idea my idea. This is great. This is our idea. That's important, right? Like you don't want to make it feel like everyone's isolated. So I think that's my superpower. So I figured out how to Jedi mind trick in general. Yeah. So so you were there at the time when there was a resurgence of Yahoo and an importance of design at Yahoo, which is pretty cool. So I grew up, I went to, I graduated my degree right at the time when like the first dot-com wave. So Hotmail, Yahoo, PayPal, Google, all those things. But at some point, Yahoo became irrelevant for a while. And it had been like 10 years since I went to a Yahoo property. And then around when you were there, like one of the first things that like, I don't know if you remember the Yahoo weather app. Yeah, I do. That was beautiful. It won the Apple Design Award. It was so beautiful. That was like the first Yahoo app or Yahoo property I'd ever been on in 10 years when they started (laughs) caring about design again. And yeah, it was a great attempt, like with all the stuff that they were doing, the new homepage design and all that stuff as well. Yeah, it was just an interesting time. They just bought out Flickr as well. So they started implementing Flickr images into around the app, which is, you could see that weather app was awesome. They acquired a bunch of people too. So obviously it's well noted, like they acquired just a bunch of startups in general. Yeah. But yeah, it's unfortunate what happened to Yahoo because I think we we got lucky. We caught the rise of... Marissa Mayer. And I, I, I have talked to Marissa Mayer, which is funny because I, I didn't realize I was going to meet her. It was like one of those, you know, how every, you know, SoCon Valley uh, company has like a Friday. Oh yeah. Happy hour. The CEO's there. Give us an update. You know, the Rob. Yeah. For your company and beers for everybody. So I'm just chilling out and just like enjoying like a beer and talking to random people. And then this woman with blonde hair comes up and says, oh, hi, nice to meet you. What do you do here? And I didn't realize it's like the CEO. I was like, oh, whoa. <laughs> and then the crazy part is she remembered who I was because she worked closely with my head of design at that point. And she would just ask like, oh, so how's what, you, what you're working on right now? What are you doing? Like, how's it going? And she would remember everything I'd be saying to her. <laughs> and I was like, ooh, like I got be, to be careful on what I say to her because she's remembering everything I say. But I love that. I love that she remembered. Like it, it's, that shows that they care. Yeah. Hey, cool. But yeah, that, that was a good time. That was also a good time. Yeah. T- tell me about how you landed at Google Ventures. Okay. Like- okay. Technically it's not Google Ventures, but it is because who actually paired me up with Google Ventures. So I pretty much wrote, so I was having like a career crisis <laughs> at this point because I had just went to Pinterest and it wasn't the adventure I thought it would be. And I was like, okay, I'm going to get out of here. I won't get into that because there's a lot of like weird stuff that happened there. But I was like, all right, I I need some career advice. And I literally just wrote letters to all the design people that, you know, were like my idols at this point. So when I was going through this design crisis, I just wrote letters to people I looked up to. 
So I, I wrote a letter to Jake Knapp because he was one of the many design leaders I actually wrote letters to. And he listened to me and he actually wrote back this long reply. He's like, hey, I really like your passion. I liked your portfolio. It shows that you care about design. Do you want to work for Google Ventures? Because Google Ventures also places designers at startups that Google Venture like funds. And I was like, yeah, sure. And he connected me with the recruiter at Google Ventures. And as for someone that thinks that people don't read LinkedIn messages, yeah. I was, my mind was blown. Like, and there are yeah, other he, people that also got back to me. You wrote a cold LinkedIn message. Yeah. yeah. And got a job. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And the recruiter was also very nice. And he pretty much connected me to a bunch of startups under Google Ventures. And I didn't know this, like they apparently had an army of designers, like waiting in, in like the wings to like place <laughs> in like these startups that are funded by Google Ventures. And Google Ventures would actually help out these designers or help out these startups in general, organize their design team or organize their business and, and the functions and at this point. Yeah, he placed me with Juicero, which is like a made fun. <laughs> but I think it was probably for me, uh, my perspective was no, like not a lot of designers get to work on internet of thing products. Yeah. And the fact that I got to do that and like actually work with a hardware team and like yeah. industrial design team was amazing. So yeah. the fact that I got to work on a mobile app that controlled a hardware machine, also interact with like various other things to see information on, I don't know, the packs and see the, what, the ingredients for a pack and where it comes from was awesome. To me, that was great. And like, they would actually support me. The Google, the head of design was awesome there. He was a great boss and we would go and sometimes communicate with Google Ventures on a lot of the strategy on what we were doing. But as we started growing or outpacing growth, they were just like, okay, you're good. You're good by yourself. You guys can figure it out because now you have like a solid team. Obviously the startup didn't work out the way we thought it was going to be or going to go, but that was okay. I think I got the experience uh, that I wanted. But again, this is what like a cold email does, right? Yeah. Um, it, and it's fascinating. And also odd story that I didn't talk about before I also had a career crisis when I was 25 and I wrote a letter to Julie Zoe, like the product, had a product of Facebook. And like, she wrote a Medium blog at this point. I was like, read, and she's like, anyone that wants to email me, I'll give you free feedback, whatever. I wrote her an email. She wrote back like this long list of like things I can improve on again. So I, tell, I, I admit like cold emails work, especially if you're just very genuine and how you write your letter, people will get back. Yeah, that's a, it's an amazing story that... Yeah, for me, I think I lean too much on relationships and I feel like maybe it's this deep down kind of fear of rejection. Some people, like some salespeople, being a CEO, you're always selling. Some salespeople, like they don't mind cold emails. They don't mind cold calling, whatever. And like when people ask me like how I'm able to get like such great businesses or clients, I'm like, you know, I don't know how to sell to strangers. I just sell to friends. <laughs> and they, my only trick of my sleeve is I just use my friendship and stuff, but I think there, there's something here about just reaching out and to people and being genuine and human. Oh, it definitely works. It's also like, there, I have a template now in my head of like how I write those emails. Okay, okay, now, wants- now you're gonna have to share that. What is that template? What is that process structure? Go go ahead. You, you uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't wanna sell all my secrets. All is pretty much telling, okay, listen, like this is who I am. It's being just very genuine. Like I'm in this rut right now or whatever you're going through. And just being like, listen, I know you're very busy right now and you probably have a ton of emails, but I would like your advice on X, Y, Z. 
and just be very specific on what you want answered and share like obviously your work or if you if this is like about a job or just feedback and you keep it short you don't write like a long thing just keep it short specific and they will get back to you and i didn't realize like people would be so humble and nice about that and you see it on clubhouse too actually because obviously it's audio platform but when people keep it short and sweet and actually ask for help people are willing to help and there's something human and nice about that in general yeah. Awesome. I'll, I'll take this tip to heart. Real, real quick, I want to ask this of all, all my guests. What is UX design? How do you explain your profession, say, to your parents, to yeah, people no. who are not in the industry? Great question. So pretty much how I explain like UX design to most people is if, if you want to help your grandmother get from point A to point B, and she has to go through various steps, whether it's stairways, whether it's the lighting, whether it's like holding onto a handrail, you need to design like almost a perfect course for her to understand how to get from the car to inside the house. And that's like the experience in general, right? Helping your grandmother and figuring out, does she understand how to hold onto this railway? Does she understand that she can turn on the light to see a stairwell? Does she understand that she can turn the doorknob to open the door? If she doesn't, like, where is the gaps and how can you help your grandmother pretty much get in to, <laughs> get into safety pretty much? So that's how I like to explain things because that visual of most people see that when you're handholding your, your elderly, that is a user experience that they're struggling in general. And the fact that they have to lean on you or lean on a handrail, that's, that's proper user experience. Like they're, they literally have to use that to, you know, get by. It's there for the user. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. How do you help your grandmother? That's pretty much how I explain most people what user experiences and people are like, Oh, I didn't think about that. (laughs) (laughs) So what makes good design then? Oh man, good design, that's a hard one. I think good design is just clear and functional. And I, I don't want to make, throw like keywords out there but and be cliche. I think good design is like where everyone can understand it's inclusive. It's not just exclusive because I also talk about this in, in my talks, right? It, it depends on what, what seat you're offering to every user, right? Because the seat is going to either exclude people from the experience, such as the people that's disabled, but you want to offer a seat that's inclusive to everybody. So there's a comic that I've, I saw where there's this person pretty much biking across this tightrope across two points of a cliff and the other people on the cliff watching him are like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> You're right, right. That's very exclusive in general, but like when you make an actual bridge and everyone can go across, that's good design to me. Cause now it's, everyone can cross that bridge. Everyone can like pretty much understand what they need to do. And that's good design. Thank you for that. That's a good, yeah. I love your physical analogies. Yeah. Yeah. Let's take it to grab. A lot of people in the U S don't even know what grab is. So can you yeah, sure. grab what grab is first of all, and then I'd love to learn about yeah, the design at grab. Yeah. So grab is the super app of Southeast Asia. Pretty much grab can do multiple things, whether it's transport, like Uber, it can do uh, food, like Uber Eats, it can do express deliveries like DHL, it can also do payments. We have a wallet, we have a Digibank license now in Singapore, which is wild. You can either top up in your wallet and pay for your food delivery, you can pay with your for your transport, and soon, whatever you can do on the Digibank, it's going to be wild. So that's what pretty much this grab is, but it varies for each country, right? So Singapore 
you can have all of this, but in Indonesia, it might be a little bit different. So example, there'll be like a four wheel, as we call it, like a four wheel transport, but then you can also ride on a bike, which is called a two wheel. So you can grab a bike. Uh, <laughs> so it's very different in each country yeah. in general. Uh, yeah. And that's the fascinating thing. And with Southeast Asia, right? Everyone just assumes like Southeast Asia is just like one, one co continent. It's not. There's various governments, various regulations, various cultures. So languages, it's a bit tricky. <laughs> languages, currencies, you yeah. name it. So everyone has their own culture, their daily habit, and it's 600, 655 billion people here. So it is a large population that needs to be served. And I, I know there are most of the cases like from. India are very similar to Indonesia in terms of like next billion users, especially with like the digital divide and the tech illiteracy. So these are very similar things that Grab is going through right now as we grow and expand into all these countries. So that's what the super app does. It's very different, obviously, from America because everyone is very like their own app for everything. So yeah, it's, it's very a different, different culture. Yeah, I, I that that's a, when people ask. Well, one thing I say is, yeah, people in Asia just want it to be all in one app. They don't want to download a ton of apps. Whereas I think people in Western culture like simplicity more and they want focused <laughs> single use case apps. That's my impression. Totally. And I, I think it could be argued on a deeper level too, where there's this Western individuality that most people oh, yeah. will relate. And then the collectivist nature of the Eastern society where it's like, oh yeah, every, every take care of everything and everyone. So that's what yeah. a super app does. Yeah. Yeah. Just some quick Google of some stats in recent years, a grab 46 million daily rides on 2.8 million active drivers. That's pretty big. Ridiculous. So you worked on the food portion. So first of all, how big was the design team when you were there? <laughs> there was no design team in 2017. There is nobody. It was, it was, yeah. So pretty much 2017 when I jumped there. Were you the sole the designer no, 2017, the engineering team was actually taking care of grab food, which is nuts because at that point, we also didn't have a design system as well. Yeah, no one, they didn't put resources into it at this point. And they just decided in 2018, we're like, we're going to put all resources on it. So they, so I originally was on the transport team, like you just mentioned. And they were like, hey, do you want to be the food designer on the consumer side? I'm like, okay, sure. So I was the sole designer on the consumer side. We obviously had a sole designer for the driver side, which is completely different design. And then we had a sole designer for the merchant side, which is like serving restaurants. And then we had a design manager who was there and he was in Seems so lean compared to, I think of Grab ah. to, to have put more resources on user experience for a consumer app, but that's just me. Hey, yeah, no, I totally feel that. I was shocked too. <laughs> I was like, okay, you want me to do this on food? Sure. Like just one designer. Yeah, let's do it. And it was funny. We, we ran two design sprints in the span of three months. We had a design sprint in Indonesia, we had a design sprint in Indonesia where like at least 40 people and we got like a head of, I guess we got a head of business at this point. We got a head of product at this point as well. So all these people started coming in at this point. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh no, we need to pivot. We need to have everyone there. So what do you mean by everyone? So, oh, we just acquired an engineering team in Beijing. We need to have them there. So we then moved, we had a second one in a hotel in Jakarta. We flew the Beijing engineering team down since we just, they want, we needed an engineering team because the resources at Grab weren't sufficient enough. It was, yeah. So we have a Beijing Grab team as well. And then we actually flew that, the Grab overall head of product there as well. So like 60 people in this hotel 
And we were just design sprinting together for a good two, three days. And that was like amazing, right? The fact that this was actually happening. We, we The person that was leading it was my manager, me, and the service designer that was also there. So we also had a service designer leading things. And we just came together. It was intense, but I think it was like probably the most enjoyable part for me of actually like setting up a design and product strategy together on what food could be in the future. Yeah. And it's funny because we impacted the roadmap and not a lot of designers can say that it actually impacted the vision and roadmap. It, it's very difficult in general. So the fact that we got to do that as a team was so important. And the fact that we also, when we did user research, it was awesome because we brought the engineers there. We brought some product people there in the beginning and their minds were blown because they didn't think, oh, I didn't think the user thought about like content like that. Cause we also had the content writer there and content writing. Like I also like back then was like, I didn't really think about too much about content, but I found out through user research that content is such a game changer, especially out here when you can localize the content and make it more fluent in lingo, right? For Indonesians or maybe Vietnamese or Thai, it's a game changer. And people feel like, oh, this doesn't feel like a robot talking. It feels like an actual person talked to me. It was fascinating. And the fact that we got to have all those people participate in that whole sprint process and watch their minds blown when we go through user research just to observe and how they use the app was awesome. Yeah. Do you have relatives in the Philippines? I do. There are a lot of relatives in the Philippines. So anytime like they find out when they found out I worked up for Grab, like it's funny because some of my family in the States, they, they don't know. But when my family in the Philippines found out, they were freaking out. So because <laughs> I didn't realize how you know much of a staple it was for them. And apparently it's like a big deal for most of them. So I, I should have known, right? It's, but a, now, it's a huge deal. Yeah. When I go to it's Thailand, a, it's a huge deal. <laughs> I, I use Grab for, for my transportation needs. And then I know like in Thailand, it's probably a toss up between Grab food and, and Line Man. Yeah. You know, kind yeah, of Line Man's a big, line man is a big, big deal there. Yeah. But, but that's so cool to be able to like, oh yeah, I made this piece of it. The food piece is all mine. That that's, must be a... Well, one incredible weight on your shoulders and, and uh, <laughs> incredible accomplishment. It was stressful. It was very stressful, but I think luckily we grew the team. So it wasn't just me. I don't want to just take all the credit. I think it was a team effort in general. And it was just being surrounded by very strong designers that were just motivated and trying to make the product work along with awesome PMs around me. Also just coming together and making it happen was important. But for the design team, it was just three people. Then like pretty much we scaled the team to 17 people within the span of two years. That doesn't seem like, that doesn't seem like a lot, but it's a lot for like our team in general. And so my manager had left at this point. They wanted me to become like the manager. I was like, no, I can't leave my consumer work. I'm the only one you need me. So I stayed on as like the lead and we brought in another manager and we pretty much scaled the team to that, to that number of 17 designers in general. And we divided like the effort, right? So we had some designers on driver, we had some designers on merchant and obviously on consumer was like a larger scale. So the team ended up growing to six people and we actually had three designers in Beijing who worked really closely with the Beijing engineers, which was awesome. And pretty much that's how it worked out. It was, it worked, it was awesome because I've never worked with such an international team before. And heck, like I flew so much every week. I was somewhere, I was like in Beijing for QA with my engineer and my product manager. Then the next week I would be flying to Seattle because we actually have a Seattle office and we were doing something related to food. We also had like food engineers in Seattle. So I would fly to Seattle next week. 
Then the next week, I was like, oh, doing user That's so weird because road. Grab is not that big in the U.S. to, to have something, something in Seattle. Talent, wow. man. Talent. talent. How did yeah, they so convince the you to move to Singapore? Oh, how? They chased me for three years. The recruiter was just very like, yeah, do you want to join Grab? I was like, I just switched jobs. They caught me at the worst times because I was just switching jobs at this point. And they kept contacting me. I was like, sorry, it's not the right time. But then that Juicero startup, it, it you know flunked out. I went to China. Before I went to China, I took those interviews from Grab and I got the job. And then literally, so right after China, I just flew to Singapore. Yeah, probably not many design jobs have you flying. This is a very unique experience, I would say, like not pretty, not typical of most Silicon Valley companies. If you worked at Twitter or Yahoo, you weren't flying everywhere. No, you weren't. And I think for us, like there was one cool, like there's a few cool experiences I can talk about where when you want to learn about people's eating habits or their, how they order food, they, we had this cultural immersion that we called it. It was almost like a user research trip, but it, what, you would, what we would do was pretty much they would fly you to a country or city. And I, I went to Vietnam and they would put you on certain teams. So one team would focus on just following the driver through his morning routine and how he you know, wakes up, his, what his home looks like and how he delivers food, how he takes orders on, on the app. And then you would actually follow the driver around the city and actually how he delivers food. And then you would interview him and like, how's he's doing? Obviously we would also feed him and take him out and treat him well, but that was an awesome experience. And for me, I, we did that for merchants. So we would just follow a merchant and sit at the restaurant and see how they take orders. We'd actually see how drivers ordered at the restaurant. So there's a big difference between the cultures in, in the West and the East. Obviously in the West, everything's like, most things are automated, right? They order through the app and it goes to the merchant app at a restaurant, maybe in the States. But like out here, there's two, two models where we call it uh, integrated model, where it is like you order from your app and then goes to the restaurant where the restaurant actually has the app. Then there's concierge where the, it actually goes to the driver and the driver actually has to put your order in for you. So that's a different cultural experience that, you know, I didn't realize existed. So we got to see that in person. And for me, I just learned so much, not about the consumer side, but the merchant side. And that helps you like think holistically of how you're treating your users, right? And we also got to interview people that never used technology before. And so we sat and interviewed this family that doesn't like ordering on food apps. They just rather rather mm-hmm. go to the restaurant and just order because they love the atmosphere. They like the food warm. They like it prepped and light, nice, nicely like, you know, put together. So that was fascinating for me. Yeah. So was this part of like growth and trying to get users and trying to understand what, how to get people to adopt this or? Yeah, pretty much. So we were trying to understand uh, the daily habits of our users in general. So we would have like personal or intimate interviews with our users and it was awesome. So being a Filipino growing up in America, was this culture shock uh, moving to Southeast Asia? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. The first year, it was a lonely year for me the first year because long story short, I did move here for love. It wasn't just for the company and then things didn't work out. But in general, right, the culture shock, the differences of West and East are so prevalent, especially in how you work and how you talk to people. So I had to really tone it back, take a, take a step back and just understand people's different perspectives and, you know, how you work with each other. You can't be the, the alpha male. You can't be the strong man. And it's funny because I was never, I never thought I was like that person because I, I used to be very introverted. 
But then what happened is like, I end up in these comp- Silicon Valley companies and they force you to become this, like, you have to talk and, you know, speak your mind. You have to be like trying to push and direct people. But out here, like I mentioned before, it's very collectivist. You have to watch out for each other. It's not, it's not, you can't come to a meeting with your own agenda. You need to actually have people with you on your agenda and align with people. And it's very similar to the culture where you go out with your boss in Japan and drink because that's their way of familiarizing yourself with them, building that relationship of trust and whatnot. I had to do that in my own way, obviously. So I had to take a step back and realize, okay, I have to be very adaptive to the culture. I can't just, you know, be that uh, what do you call it? American that's trying to be American somewhere else because that gets you in trouble in general. So, yeah. 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 It's funny that topic comes up because I obviously I'm Asian, Asian American, American naturalized. So I, I didn't grow up in the US. So I, my, my leadership style has been commented that I'm not a typical Western CEO or definitely not a Silicon Valley CEO that's top down pushing, you know, my agenda down and, and, and very, th- th- it wasn't the word collectivist, but we use that word a couple of times, but I, I am very more team oriented. I use that word. And uh, some people like that, they're not used to that. Yeah. Not a, lot of, not a lot of people are used to that. My, my initial conversation was I really wanted to learn more about your experience at Grab Food, but during our conversation, you you piqued my interest around the trust and identity safety security team. So I'd love to learn more about what design work and, and design and, and the user research. Yeah. The, the day in the life of that team design team looks oh, like. It's so tricky. Safety is such a tricky subject because when you're trying to do user research, there's a difference of emotions when uh, you're actually testing like just a normal, like live experience with a user versus the actual scenario, because the emotions of a human being going through an emergency scenario are like totally different. And for me, so I did a talk on this a while ago where I, there, there are three stages of grief or, or stress in general. And this was based on a study with cancer patients in general, as they progressively get sick, they talk about like how, you know, there's the first level where you're like, there's awareness around you and you're not too stressed out. You're like, okay, everything's okay. I still know what's happening around me. But then the second level, yeah, there's this increased heightened of questioning, like what's happening. Uh, I don't have control on all of what's going on, but at least I have some semblance of rationale. But that last level is like very tunnel vision. You just so focused on that problem that you feel like there's no way out. And that's what like a safety scenario looks like almost where you're like, what do you do in that one second when someone harasses the passenger or harasses the driver? What does the driver do in those scenarios? You can't remake that scenario. You can't stage that. So it's hard because you need to create an experience that serves those crazy experiences in general. So that's one part of it. The other part is also educating drivers, which I'm working on. So I'm working on telematics, which actually tracks people's movement through their phone. So pretty much there's a lot of companies that do this. Uber used to do this on their driver app. I think Lyft also used to do this where they would tell you like, Hey, you're speeding, you're accelerating, you're braking too hard, you're cornering too hard. So that's what what I'm actually working on right now in general in in educating drivers how to drive safely. Obviously, I can't talk about everything, but like we're pretty much working on that right now and how to best educate our drivers, not just like through four-wheel cars, but also two-wheel bikes as well. So it's tricky. Yeah. What what about the trust and identity piece? How does does that factor in the work or what does that imply? So it's funny, trust and, trust and identity is like almost like ethics. I think the most important part is to just communicating to users that, hey, 
We are protecting you. This is a safe and secure platform that you're using. So we need to build that trust through, not just through microcopy, but through onboarding and through letting people know that it's a tricky situation because we are horizontal across the team, right? Across all the grab. We're not like a vertical like food. Safety is like a horizontal, but you know, is safety has to be thought about for everything. So as we scale, how do we do that? And, and trust that identity in general is like, Pretty much it's like brand a little bit, like the shield, right? That most people see when they either log into Chase Bank and, hey, this is a secure login. Those little interactions actually do matter if you think about it. It's the same when you do payments on PayPal, right? They tell you, hey, this is a secure payment. People don't think about that. But when you start seeing that, it's like, oh, wow. Yeah, you want that little SSL you know, yeah. lock. You want the little badges. All these little micro things do have an effect. Yeah. So I we were tasked in literally just creating like back then, like every, everyone was like using their own shield for everything. It was like, it was a mess. But luckily we now have this brand of like trust and identity with that with a shield that's now consistent on the design system as well, along with the messaging and the microcopy. And that's like a world of difference. And it's interesting because you wouldn't think so much about it, but when you actually go through like the overall globe, like holistic experience of the platform, yeah, you need that. Awesome. Thank, thank you so much for that. We're getting close to time wrapping up. Real quick fire, you know, quick questions. Any career advice you'd give to your younger self? What do you think you wish you had known? Ooh, I wish he would have taken more risk. <laughs> Although I think I took way too, way, way many risks, but I think he, I wish he took more risks than he should have. Yeah. So, you think you yeah. played it safe with Twitter, Yahoo, and Pinterest and Google Ventures? I think he could have done more. I think he yeah. could have done more, to be honest. So I tell everyone this, I could have stayed in China and got a job if I wanted to, but I, I really wanted to come to Grab. So yeah. I wish he could have done that. I wish he could have probably worked a little bit more internationally, more more so and maybe stepped out of the States earlier. So yeah, yeah. Any resources you, you recommend you go to, for example, that design sprint book that was a good, we'll mention in the show notes. Yeah. Okay. Some good books. The first 90 days is a great book if you join a new job. That was helpful for me when I first joined Grab. So the first 90 days, I forget the author, but it's easy to search. And then The Culture Map I'm reading right now is amazing. So The Culture Map by Aaron Meyer talks about how you how people communicate and, and work in different cultures, whether it's in America, Asia, India, Europe. It's a fascinating book just about people's identities, their personalities, and, and where it comes from in their culture. So definitely a good read in general. Thank you for that. I think I'll put it that in my reading list because we're a pretty global team as well. So I think the team would benefit from that. And I would probably benefit a little bit about my background. I was as a child of two diplomats. I grew up all over the world. So I think some of the stuff kind of rubbed off on me, but I didn't know how to explain it. Some people I would encounter people would say very different, strange things that I found, like like people in the US would say, oh, blah, 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 insert race or country are so difficult to work with because they're so blah. And I don't know, growing up there or here, like, you know, this is what people here believe or their believe or that's their culture. So I, I always found those statement, blanket statements a little interesting, but I think, yeah, that's, that's a good book recommendation. And how do people get in touch with you? What's the best way? Yeah, they can contact me through LinkedIn. I'm usually on Twitter, just spouting off stuff about Southeast Asia all the time now. <laughs> and then also obviously Clubhouse. So it's so easy to find me on Clubhouse, as you mentioned earlier, off, off air. But yeah, you can find me on those platforms. So LinkedIn, Twitter, Clubhouse in general. But yeah, that's it for those how to reach out to me. 
Cool. Thank you so much. Yeah, when I can travel again, I'd love to come visit you. I, I usually make trips to Thailand to, to see family. I have enough friends in Singapore to drop by. Uh, Dude, let's do it. I miss Thai street food, man. Like I miss everything that like all the Thai food here is good because obviously the there's a lot of Thai people here. But like when I go back to Bangkok or Chiang Mai, the food there obviously there's a big difference. So yeah, I miss it. Yeah, obviously I'm very biased, so I, I like Thai food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for being on the show, Jay. I really appreciate it. No, thank you, Pak. Uh, thank you. This is so surreal that we met on Clubhouse and this happened. So thank you again. Thank you for joining us on this episode of What Is UX. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. If you leave us a review, I'll make sure to shout it out on the show. If you have any questions, send them to questions at whatisux.co, and our guest and I will try to answer them on the show. And you can always find us on whatisux.co. See you on the next one. <laughs>